It's great to finally be here. It's felt like a very long wait, waiting and waiting for last Sunday to arrive when we would start our curacies here at Christchurch. Lydia and I have been known we've been coming here for quite some time. And so it's felt like a long time waiting for that moment, waiting for that day when we would start. And for me, it's been an even longer wait because Lydia had three years of study. I only had two, not because I'm wiser, but just because I'm older. So I found myself with a whole year where I waited for Lydia to finish her studies, waited so that we could be ordained at the same time. The thing is, the only thing that the Church of England required me to do in that year was find a curacy, which was wrapped up pretty quickly because Richard was quite keen to get us. Um, you can decide whether that's a wise decision or not later. Um, but I basically had a whole year with nothing planned, absolutely nothing that I needed to do. So how should I spend this gift of an empty year? What could I fill my time with as I waited for Lydia to finish her studies, to write her dissertation? She was working very hard, but I had nothing to do. And to be completely honest, I was incredibly tempted to take a year of rest, to put my feet up and do very little. You see, Lydia's training status meant that she got paid and I didn't need to earn very much money. In fact, the more money I earned, the more the Church of England took away from us. So it didn't really give me any incentive to make any money at all. And I'd worked hard at college for two years, and then prior to that, many years in Oxford in a, in a tough uh, council estate. Maybe it was time to put my feet up, to, to rest, to relax, to re regain some energy. Anyway, it was only one year. What? can you meaningfully do in one year? A year goes by so quickly. It was also our first year of marriage, and it's biblical to have a year off, right? Because, you know, Deuteronomy 24, verse 5 says, if, if he is recently married, he must not be sent to war and have any other duties laid upon him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to his marriage. You know, it's biblical. Take a year off. And what's more, there was a golf course opposite my house. It's a game I've always wanted to be very good at. And just think, after a year, I might even be able to keep the ball on the right kind of whatever it is that you're supposed to hit it onto. I had so many excuses to make it a year of quiet and doing very little. Alternatively, I could grab hold of this gift of a year and find things that would make a difference, find things that would grow God's kingdom, find meaningful things to do that would not just bless others but would also enrich my life. What should I do with this generous gift of a year? In the parable of the Ten, uh, talents or 
bags of gold, as it's now translated in the NIV, the master of his house, the house, entrusts his servants with huge amounts of money. A bag of gold was approximately equal to 15 years of a laborer's wage. 15 years of a laborer's wage, half a lifetime's wage. It's an enormous sum to entrust to your servant. And to one, he gives five bags of gold, to another one, and the third, one bag, depending on their ability. Now, it's important to note at this point, this parable is not about our natural abilities. This is perhaps a point just to say that there is difference in the kingdom of God. And then the master in the story goes away on a journey for a long time. And he doesn't give his servants instructions of what they are to do with the money that he has entrusted to them. So each servant is left to make their own decision, make their own mind up of what to do with this huge, generous portion of uh, money that they have been entrusted with. They know that one day the master will return and he will ask for an account of that money. But what are they to do with what they have been entrusted with while the master is away? Well, two servants invest the money. They put it to work, doubling it. Whereas the third servant buries it in the ground where at least it will be safe. Upon the master's return, the two servants who have doubled the money are commended and rewarded. They're amazing words, aren't they? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful uh, with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Just as the parable is not about our natural abilities, nor is it Jesus' way of providing financial investment help. It's not really about money at all. If it were, the two servants probably would have been given on the master's return a well-endowed pension for their excellent work. But they are not. Instead of being given a financial reward, they are told that they will be given greater responsibility. So if this parable isn't about natural abilities or financial uh, kind of advice, getting ahead at the stock exchange on Monday morning, what is it all about? Well, the parable of the talents directly follows on from the parable of the bridesmaids. Now, you might remember it, that there's 10 bridesmaids Five are foolish and don't bring any oil for their lamp. Five are wise and they bring additional oil for their lamps. As the bridegroom arrives late, the five who didn't bring additional oil, their lamps have gone out and they cannot relight them. But the five who are wise can light their lamps and they join in the party. The the foolish ones who have got to head off into town to buy more oil miss out on the moment. They miss the party. It's a parable about waiting and being ready. Ready for the moment when Jesus shows up. It's a parable that tells us that we don't want to miss out when Jesus 
turns up. And the parable of the tenants, the parable of the, the gold bags, develops this uh, theme of being ready. Telling us what it means, what it looks like to be ready. In the parable, the two servants who... Um, the parable who, uh, the servants who were entrusted with the larger sums, who invest that money, who put it to work, who double it, they demonstrate what being ready looks like. They are active, responsibly going about the master's business despite his absence. They actively respond to the master's generosity. And they are commended for it and given even greater responsibility. The third servant, however, gets a very different response from the master. Upon giving an excuse for his failure to do anything with what had been entrusted to him except keep it safe, the master harshly condemns him. It's perhaps a shocking response. It's not the sort of thing that we're used to hearing in the Bible, is it? You wicked, lazy servant. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It sounds pretty harsh. I mean, after all, he didn't lose the money, did he? You know, he kept it safe. The master is no worse off. He hasn't tried some risky business deal that has completely gone wrong. The image of the master here is not supposed to be an accurate illustration of God. But the master's response does make the point. The, serve, the third servant had failed to grasp the nature of his responsibility. Perhaps because of fear of losing his master's wealth or making a bad deal. He plays it safe. He risks nothing, does nothing with what had been entrusted to him. The third servant failed to understand that the reckless decision is not the decision to, to take a risk and invest that money to put it to work, but the reckless decision is to do nothing with what had been entrusted to him. Last week, Nicola shared with us uh, that we have been chosen, that we are a chosen people, that Christ has chosen us, that we belong to him. We are God's people. And as God's people, God's chosen people, God has entrusted us with something special. Not bags of gold, but something far, far more special, far more valuable the good news of the kingdom of God. The news that through Jesus, God is restoring all things, that he is making all things new. 
It is the most precious news in the whole world. One day, Christ will return. And he will establish his kingdom in all its fullness. All will be made well. All will be made new. But between now and when Christ returns, we are perhaps faced with the same question that those servants faced. What are we going to do with the most generous gift that God has entrusted us with? What are we going to do with the most generous gift that God has entrusted us with? The parable that Jesus tells makes the point to encourage us to not treat this priceless gift of God's kingdom like some golden ticket that we secretly hide away in an inside pocket And then one day when we arrive at heaven's gates, we can wave our golden ticket in front of Archangel Gabriel's face and say, let me in. I have my ticket. To do so is reckless, like burying a bag of gold in the ground. The parable is an invitation to live active lives seeking to make God's kingdom known in the world around us. And as we do this, we will find that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, not only transforming the world around us, but us as well. That little by little, day by day, we will reflect Christ more and more. The call isn't to play it safe to bury what we have been given in the ground just in case we get it wrong or or we mess up or because we fail. That will happen. But that's okay. The call is to take a risk, to join in with what God is doing, to find ways to make his kingdom known wherever we are, whatever that looks like. And we can have complete confidence as we step out. Because it's God's economy that whatever we do for him, no matter how weak or feeble it might feel to us, he turns it into the most beautiful brushstrokes on his great masterpiece. As 1 Corinthians 15, 58 puts it, because of Jesus... Our work in the Lord is not in vain. And unlike the servants, we are not abandoned by the master. Not at all. But the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, giving us all that we need to be able to join in with the work that he is calling us into. So my year off, what to do with a year? I could have so easily, so easily joined the golf club. Forgotten about all this Jesus ministry stuff. Put my feet up, 
waited until I got here before the proper ministry to start. But to have done so, perhaps, would have made me guilty of burying the gift, the generous gift of a year, in the ground. Now I wish, I wish I could tell you that what I did with that year was sensational. That I saw the lame walk, that I saw the blind see, that I saw prisoners set free from prison. Unfortunately, the reality was rather more dull, but none less kingdom. God provided me with two main opportunities, many small opportunities, but two main opportunities for the year. One, to do some video work for a charity supporting and equipping pastors in sub-Saharan Africa. And the other, working for Trinity, uh, Trinity College, where Lydia was studying, as part of their property team. Now, this mainly entailed making and filling out spreadsheets. Now, you might, it might be a, you know, a little more obvious where the kind of the kingdom of making videos for an African charity is, you know. In fact, this morning, uh, as if God knew, I received a text message from an African pastor saying, I've just watched one of the videos you made and it's really encouraged me in my ministry. Perhaps that's easier to see. Making spreadsheets. Now, you might love spreadsheets. You might think that they are the next best thing to the Bible. I don't. But I do know how they work, unlike the rest of the property team at Trinity College. I, I couldn't believe the state of their spreadsheets. You had to look at five different spreadsheets to get enough information to write one email. It was a nightmare. But I could use my knowledge of spreadsheets to bless that team, to help them become more effective and efficient in their ministry of supporting students, of providing good learning and living environments for them. You see, even spreadsheets can be used by Jesus for his glory. Jesus calls us to be ready, to be ready. And this isn't passive, but active. It's about taking hold of the opportunities that God places before us, stepping out, taking a risk, not being afraid of getting it wrong. There's grace for that. To join in, to seek God's kingdom and make it known in this place while we wait for him to return. This is not necessarily a call to uh, give up your job and you know, change your life completely and put on a dog collar, but it's a call to full-time kingdom ministry where you are, in your places of work, in your clubs, in your neighborhood in your home, actively praying, actively serving, actively sharing the good news of God's kingdom. 
and the shape and size of that ministry may look very different to somebody else here this morning. It may look greater, it may look smaller, but that's not the point. It is simply your part to play in God's great work. This year I could have so easily compared my tinkering with spreadsheets with those other colleagues of mine who are now in churches leading amazing ministries and doing awesome things. And I could have looked at myself and gone, I'm, what am I doing? I'm useless. I'm, I'm nothing. It's insignificant. But to have done so would have been to miss the point. That was the opportunity that God placed in my hand for that season. To serve Trinity, to serve that property team. And to do it in a way that honored God, that glorified him. When we actively play our part, joining in with God's kingdom, whatever that looks like, and it will look different to each one of us, then God also says, of, says to us what he said to those two faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So the question is simple this morning. The challenge is simple. Are we going to take a risk? Are we going to step out in whatever way God is leading us into so that we may see his kingdom grow in our lives and in the community around us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are making all things new. That you are restoring all things. And that one day you will bring all your work to completion. But Lord, we ask for your courage. We ask for your strength. We ask for your enabling that we may see the opportunities that you lay before us. That we may take a risk for you and for your kingdom. So Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you are leading and where you are guiding. Thank you that you are good and that you promise to be with us. Would we know your spirit with us here this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.